Welcome to Industry Insights, the EFM podcast presented by the European film market of the Berlinale. Industry Insights puts a spotlight on highly topical and trend-setting industry issues, creating a compass for the forthcoming film year. This year-round podcast is produced in cooperation with Gotter Institute. My name is Nadia Denton. I'm a curator and impact producer based in the UK. Alongside my colleague, industry analyst, Johanna Kolnjonin, I am co-host of this podcast series, which delves deeply into the rapidly evolving film industry. It is with much pleasure I bring you the second part of this two-part podcast titled Global North, Global South, Narrative Sovereignty. As part of my last series of conversations with industry guests, we discussed the creative implications of funding from the Global North and how this affects the aesthetic and content that Global South filmmakers produce. We also touched on how the burden of colonial history affects diaspora filmmakers from film school right throughout their film industry careers. We then had some encouraging examples about Global South showcases and initiatives which are helping to bridge a gap and enable diaspora and Global South filmmakers to form collaboration. During this second live recorded conversation, we will further unpick some of the threads that were previously explored. Without further ado, I would now like to welcome and introduce our speakers. Tamara Falikov is a producer in the Department of Film and Media Studies at the University of Kansas and is an active member of the Center for Latin American and Caribbean Studies. Tiny Mungwe is a filmmaker and arts manager. As a filmmaker, she currently works as a producer at STEPS, Social Transformation and Empowerment Projects, where she's producing Generation Africa, a Pan-African anthology of 30 documentary films from 17 countries in Africa on the topic of migration. Tessa Borman is an independent documentary filmmaker, advisor, and film programmer. In her work, she promotes marginalized voices and underrepresented perspectives in film and the film industry and advocates diversity and inclusion within the framework of intersectionality. Tamara Dawit is a producer and director based between Canada and Ethiopia. She runs the production company GoBest Media, which produces Ethiopian film, TV, digital, and music content. Lamia Balkahid Gugia was artistic director of the Kataj Film Festival between 2015 and 2019. Lamia is a film critic who teaches the history of cinema and film analysis at Kataj University, where she is currently the director. Her work focuses on Tunisian and African cinema. Abhishek Nalamba is a curator and artistic producer at Savvy Contemporary Berlin and creative consultant at Backyard Civilization in India. Tiny, you've spoken passionately about the need to challenge international funding structures. I wondered if you could just talk a little bit more about how can we break and remold the current system? You know, does the centuries-old colonial past between the global north and south make such a proposition unworkable, very difficult? What are your thoughts about this? I think that, as I said in, in our earlier conversation, the the centuries-old history of colonialism um, and uh, what is implied in terms of the distribution of wealth and resources on our, conti- on our continents, but also in the whole planet, is really the basis that we should start from in thinking about what solutions uh, need to be there. I think there needs to be accountability on the part of those nations which have a history of colonialism or benefiting from colonialism. I think that there needs to be 
also an equal amount of accountability with our governments in the global south, which are complicit in the continued exploitation of resources um, in on the planet, whether it's for just the general well-being of our societies, but also fostering of culture as an essential part of like human life. So I don't think uh, it's not so much that it's not workable. It's that it's essential for us to resolve these tensions in order to come up with solutions for uh, building a better world in terms of just our general well-being, but also in terms of culture um, going forward into the future. I think this is a conversation that starts on reflecting on a history of colonialism. And what you're speaking of is, you know, it's something that I would certainly welcome and is inspiring to me because it's holistic. And it's very much about us looking at our shared past and history and sort of interrogating and unpicking almost to sort of heal and to bring us forward to the present. But clearly going through such a process is really difficult and people are reluctant to explore the past and to, to go through, you know, some of those contradictions and challenges. And even in terms of what were what you alluded to regarding governments in the global south and how they perhaps haven't always stepped up in terms of their support for, you know, film creatives. What do you think are some of the practical ways that we could take this kind of action or even conversations forward? One of the things that we've been doing with uh, colleagues uh, working on the Engage project, that's Temba Bebe and Mitchell Harper, as well as uh, really generous in terms of intellectual energy, but also physical contributions, partners who've helped us to host these conversations around the continent is, is that firstly creating a space for there to be a reflection on this really does have an impact on how people internalize um, and understand the reality that we're all mutually working in. I think it's not easy. I think like the earliest engaged conversation that we had, like in Durban, we had to sit and do so much of holding of space of, from partners from the North who are convinced that they're here doing benevolent work and that actually the, the impact of the work that they do is benign. Um, to to help them to realize that we that it's a it's a toxic environment that we've helped to create that they they are also a part of but that we we are also normalizing by not addressing and calling it what it is i think that there is definitely still a lot of learning and unlearning that needs to be done by all of us in the space all of us who see ourselves in a certain way when we approach funding sources from the north and all and those of from the north who view their work in a certain kind of way which does not take into account the reality that starts to shape up when you let people from the global south speak freely um, and 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 really express uh, again a centuries old uh, kind of wounding, but also exploitation of of intellectual work, artistic work, but also actual physical resources. Tessa, in the first episode, you spoke about the pledge that you had created and put out uh, with some fellow colleagues in the industry in the Netherlands. I wondered if you could elaborate and tell us a bit more about that pledge and how it sort of speaks to some of the issues that Tiny has raised. I think the traditional way of looking at the other in the industry is the other as a topic of films or the other as being the audience. And we felt that the issues of the other as us 
people in the industry who are the makers, the directors, the script writers. It's not only an issue of representation or as how we are perceived as the other, as audience or represented in films, actors or um, in their stories or in um, documentaries as uh, real people, but us as filmmakers. So we really felt the need to identify and to share with the industry what it means to be a person of color and what it means to be a person from uh, the global south to work in this industry and to try to tell our stories, what it means to be the other and try to tell the stories of about the so-called other. So that was a position that we really felt that it was necessary to talk about uh, publicly because um, many colleagues and we all found ourselves talking about these issues behind closed doors and we felt the need to do that openly and uh, not only for the reason of uh, transparency of course but for the reason of the uh, raising the awareness in the industry but also as a way to transcend from the fear that every individual feels to step up and uh, be honest about what you experience and to really set boundaries in the issues that you are experiencing or you have to face. I named the term that you need to be a social acrobat in order to be critical within your professional field, to be critical towards the people you have to work with, even the people that you're dependent on, in, uh, because this counts for all the, the full chain of production from uh, script writing or approaching people in the industry all the way up to uh, distribution and marketing and audience targeting. Uh, and there was so much fear amongst um, people to talk about these issues that we really felt that if we would do this together and globally, then we'll create a certain mass and it will go beyond the individual experience. It will be more about the systemic um, dynamics in the industry. And I wondered if you could share with us some of the testimony that you have received as a result of your activity. So you're talking about the fear and the fact that people were having these conversations behind closed doors, not publicly. What what are some of the themes or what are some of the stories that really touched you um, in terms of the experiences that colleagues or members of the industry were having, particularly as relates to people of colour? Mm-hmm. The first thing that touched me it was that um, we made the pledge in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, and right across the globe, our first response came from uh, Australia, where people were testifying on the fact that Australia is very often seen as a homogenic monocultural society. Um, And stories about indigenous people, I think, around the globe are very often uh, lensed through the perspective of the dominant gaze. And same goes in Australia, that almost all stories about Aboriginal community are either told or filtered through the gaze of the dominant perspective or even produced by a fully uh, non-Aboriginal crew. Uh, so that first touched me that it went all the way through, um, literally through the globe to the other side of the world. It was very diverse from all corners of the world. And what was what touched me most and even found heartbreaking the level of anxiety this creates with filmmakers all through all sections of the professions, how relieved they were that this became an item, that they could talk freely about this. Some said, I'm going to share this with you, with Shamira Rafaela, my colleague uh, with whom I made this pledge. 
Some stories were said that we only share this uh, with you, with the both of you. Please don't share it uh, publicly. I still have to think about whether I'm willing to share it publicly. So even write, people writing these things to us, they fear their career. So we will have to find a way to have all the voices included, both, of course, people who are willing to share publicly, but also those who are not. Um, and f even find ways to, to make sure that their testimonies are solid, that these are real people uh, with real stories. Although we cannot make some stories very uh, particularly with details um, and full disclosure, but I think the dynamics will be recognized by all. First of all, it's the issue of that you as a filmmaker in whatever kind of uh, position in the chain of filmmaking production are perceived in a certain stereotypical way along the lines of all the stereotypes that are uh, running around your aspects of your identity. So this is the first thing you have to deal with. You have to be able to negotiate that, to navigate that, to uh, challenge that while you are doing your work. Uh, Another thing is that the perception of stories from the global south or stories of uh, uh, minority groups are always perceived as one category. So if there is a story about, let's say, Palestinian refugees, people will say, oh, we already have a story about Pal Palestinian refugees. While the stories about, let's say, the Second World War could be endless and from all kinds of perspectives. And um, so all these dynamics are uh, reoccurring. They're systemic. Um, another thing is that the way people are, um, the way certain stories are perceived as interesting or not for the industry to be told how markets function. I think that's a big topic because the perception of how films should could be distributed or marketed is very a very traditional way of uh, audience perception as a white European uh, audience. That is the main uh, interesting financial source of targeting. And this is, I think, also a, a practice that really needs to be reevaluated and uh, recalibrated because we all know that there's a huge market when you look at it from a different way. It's, there's a huge market that nobody is identifying as such. So it goes all through the chain and it really... I, we thought that we knew a lot of the dynamics, but we found out through this call that it's way it's way more detailed and broad and holistic for the industry, but also encompassing so much more than we could think of. Thank you, Tessa. Tamara Dowett, I wanted to bring you in at this point. Uh, Tessa raised a very um, important point, which I have heard expressed and lamented about time and time again, which is this perception of what will sell to audiences in the West. So content from the global South that may or may not be deemed as suitable for, you know, um, global North audiences. You're a producer based between Ethiopia and Canada. Uh, you recently made a feature length documentary called Finding Sally. And um I'm aware that this has had distribution, or at least this is um, going to be broadcast on American television. I wondered if you could share with us what your experiences were in terms of getting distribution and, um, you know, what you had to put in place in order to secure, you know, um, access for audiences to your film. Sure. I mean, that was a very um, long and challenging and I guess still ongoing journey. Um, you know, and I, and I think the Canadian 
system is perhaps a bit different from other countries in the world because a lot of the federal financing is triggered by having the broadcaster on. And for Black or racialized um, producers or, or storytellers, that is the number one barrier because these broadcasters do not have people in decision-making roles who, who look like us, who understand the stories we're trying to tell. Um, this is changing. They're trying to suddenly play catch-up. Um, but I think we have to sort of watch that space and see see what actually happens. Um, and then I think, you know, for a story like Finding Sally, um, it was also more difficult because this is a story primarily about Africans in Africa. It's a story specifically about Ethiopia. It's also a story about Ethiopian history. So it was always a funny dance of how to, to pitch it and present it in Canada, of trying to say, well, you know, history is important now for these reasons. And, you know, the fact that at least I'm Canadian, um, that's why I'm in the film. The original film I pitched did not have me in, in there as a, as a point of view film, but that was really the way we had to pivot to, to get a broadcaster on board. And I think, you know, the main broadcaster we had initially in Canada was the CBC. Um, part of that was to do with the fact that I needed to bring on a white production company that they felt comfortable with. They weren't willing, nor was any other broadcaster willing to work with me, despite um, all of my past production credits. They needed to, to have a, a familiar face, a familiar white face at the table. So that changed a lot of things in terms of the um, ownership of the film, the planning for the film, um, even, you know, the creative control, um, because there was the producer and the broadcaster often against me in terms of um, perverting and shaping my vision. So I think, you know, those are the big challenges. I think there's a lot of good, the, the start of good change, perhaps um, specifically in North America, the questions we have right now are, you know, are these changes sustainable? And I think also for Filmmakers who want to tell stories internationally, um, what place will that have? Because a lot of the focus right now with these funds is for racialized creators to tell stories about what's happening in the U.S. or what's happening in Canada or the history of how they came to Canada or their specific point of view. And I think that's, again, a really narrow gaze and a very specific focus that we're placing again on racialized creators to say, okay, now you can tell stories, but they have to be within this specific box. And what would a more balanced global, north, global, south collaborative framework mean for you as a film creative? So if you could just imagine a world where you didn't have to sort of deal with some of these dynamics in terms of, oh, well, you know, this particular audience might not be receptive to this kind of content, or even feeling that, you know, you have to have a white producer at the table in order to get interest, you know, from um, a Canadian funder or broadcaster. What would that look like for you practically as a film creative? You know, I think it's about um, the lack of, of research and, and data we have specifically around audiences and the, the fact that the tracking that we do presently is really about what's considered to be mainstream white content. So I know of, you know, stories in Canada with, with racialized creators who couldn't access any of the traditional funds because they were seen as, you know, this is something that no one would want to watch because our our understanding of an audience is a 45 or 50 year old man in, in central Canada. Um, but we have six examples of films that went on to raise a lot of money through crowdfunding. So that helps you understand, yes, there is an audience or to um, have huge theatrical successes through, you know, independent distribution. 
So I think it's about starting to pay more attention to different audiences, starting to focus more on, on impact and community distribution and to weigh the, the filmmakers' um, plans and their understanding of how they're intending to reach their audience and not just looking at things through this older traditional view, but it's also about you know changing the systems and changing who's around the table, who are those decision makers, um, one of the big things we're pushing for in Canada is a collection of race-based data because we don't know who has been in so far and who hasn't. And we're also really concerned about the ownership um, to date of the films that have been made or the TV shows that have been made. We have some recent you know, examples of television programs in Canada that if you look at them on Netflix, you'll think, oh, this is, you know, all about these racialized Canadian communities. But if you dig in and look at the ownership, it's still owned by the same white production companies. So for us, I think the big issue is, is the data, um, to understand that, to keep evaluating it annually. And then also a focus on equity oversight, because there needs to be someone there with a senior management not, you know, a secretary who happens to be black, who's now been pivoted to to work on ENI programming. There needs to be someone who makes sure that if we have targets, we're going to be accountable to meet those things. So I think, you know, the work that I do now in Canada is really um, driven and informed by the difficulties I had in making Finding Sally. Thank you. Tamara Falikov, you've done a lot of research and written papers around the dichotomy in terms of the relationship between the global north and the global south. I wonder what your take was around how we can use data to try and progress these conversations um, and even what research has yielded in terms of examples of how it's constructive to challenge the current structures that we have in place um, that further reinforce you know, the inequity between the North and the South. So Nadia, for me, I think ultimately what we're talking about here is a pretty large power imbalance. Um, I think power is a topic that we have to always keep in mind. Um, and honestly, I think in terms of how we might try to decenter the dynamic between the global North and the global South, it has to do with who has the money, who has the resources, um, I went to a fantastic seminar about African filmmaking in the age of Netflix. And one of the producers said, you know, perhaps it's a cliche, but I think it really encapsulates this concept that who pays the piper dictates the tune. Um, and so if you have a company like Netflix, which is, you know, a huge data analysis company, I mean, we think of them as, as a content provider, but really they're doing incredible algorithmic research on who audiences are. And the fact is that they may not pay for stories they don't see as, quote, African or, quote, Latin American or Asian from their point of view. So I just want to echo some of the things that Tamara brought up earlier, which is that um, it's about who has the ability to understand that we need to have a larger concept of who audiences are and who this is for. Um, you know... I live in the most capitalist country in the world. And I just think that um, I've always thought that perhaps in Europe and in Latin America, the, the places that I study are, are more aware and more uh, conscious of culture and diversity. But ultimately I, I, I'm seeing that there still are these very narrow uh, concepts of what people want to see. 
And I think that um, one of the major problems I see in film festivals is this concept of outreach. Who can really be at a festival and really reach audiences that are not normally coming to see these films? Um, I still think there's a form of elitism that we need to work on. Um, and the other thing I want to bring in is gender. Um, when we're talking about ideal types, we're talking about male, white male audiences. Um, and we, so we need to bring in intersectionality more. And, and ultimately, what I'm looking at is power. The last thing I'll say is when I go to trainings, which I'm studying, and I think they're so important. I know Tamara had said, look, I've, I've been to Berlinale Talents. I've had these opportunities. They're fantastic for networking. But the question is, who gets to go to those events, number one? Number two, who are the instructors? Are the instructors also from the dominant culture? Are they being paternalistic? Um, let's look at Paulo Freire. Let's look at other ways of decolonizing our training and decolonizing um, the processes by which we vet or adjudicate the kinds of films that should be made because frankly, film festivals are producers now and they could make a major um, stride in the right direction if they could just think more creatively in, the, in these ways. Lamia, at this point, I wanted what your contribution was around this conversation. So we have talked a lot about the challenges and, you know, those are ongoing and are going to take a lot of work to unpick. I wondered what your own view was about how we can best bring together more constructive Global North, Global South collaboration. So what would be your own sort of radical imagination or view of what could be, if we can term it, a sort of utopia for um, Global North, Global South workings. And I'm thinking in particular of all of the work that you have done, um, not just um, in Africa, but also in the Arab region and clearly in collaboration with organisations in Europe. I think that uh, uh, we must not wait for the North to find solutions. We have to find South, South solutions. Uh, we, ha we have to encourage co-production, training, like, uh, I think, you, you know, the program Santo, uh, a kind of program, a project uh, for collaboration or co-production between Tunisia, Morocco, Senegal. And we have to accompany all these initiatives by the critics, by uh, research. And we must uh, be aware of all this possibility uh, offered by the technology to create a new South-South dynamic, uh, like platform, like uh, uh, a new system to, co to collaborate together. I think we must ask th this question about uh, the countries of the North, which film the North encourage, for which public, uh, with which money they encourage gender film, why? Why they encourage women for which program, who program this, and why? We must today ask all these questions. Why the North put these programs? Why they put this money? The, the question is about money also. Where this money come from? And we must ask all these questions. Which kind of films, which kinds of uh, 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 initiative they encourage. And the other question, the South, well, the South, all, all, all structures, we must ask this question, what we want to show, 
what we want to produce, what kind of uh, uh, um, topics, what kind of films, what kind of, of uh, realities, what histories we, we want as South to, to produce. I think this is the real uh, question. We, we must uh, uh, want to know what we want. If we want to, 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 to create or to, to, to put histories, our histories, we must create a new system. South, South, collaboration. Tunisia must collaborate with, with Morocco, with Algeria, because we have um, the, 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 the same history. We have the common uh, stories, traditions, realities. We must find alternative. This is the whole issue. And um, uh, we, we must find alternative structures to those of uh, the, the states. Collaboration between festivals. The festivals, all the South festivals, mass collaboration. I'm very um, happy now. Uh, because uh, you know uh, the festivals, the, the 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 new equip of our the team of Festpaco uh, Festival, the, they are from Tunisia. They are from uh, many countries. We must put this in all festivals. Waga uh, must collaborate with with Carthage. Durban must collaborate with the other festival. We must uh, uh, have to partage our stories, our programs, to, you, you understand about the, our, 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 our um, future is South, South, I think. And Lamia, I'm curious yeah. about the position of, or rather, let me restate that. I'm curious what you lecture at Qatar University. Yeah. When you talk about some of these ideas and notions with your students, what is their own take on the history in terms of, you know, the global yeah. north and south? Do they think that that's irrelevant, it no longer applies to them? What are their sort of film aspirations and where do they want their content to be seen? Are they privileging other parts of the world like China or India, you know, over Europe as it may have previously been the case or even America? Students, uh, uh, I think the role of teachers, when we put programmes we must put program uh, films from Senegal. From in our program, I put some some some, uh, I, uh, some films from Senegal, from South Africa. This is our role. We must put this. this that's why I, I, I'm speaking about conscience. We must be conscious. What are we doing now? If you want to to um, to see our to 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 develop our industry, we must begin with training. We must collaborate together. This is the only issue for us, for the South. And we must uh, 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 encourage our, our students to um, produce, to collaborate. I, I have many students from Egypt, from Iraq, from, and when we, 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 we try to, because our, our, our assignment is, 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 our training is in French, but the language, for me, it's not a problem today. We must come in, uh, have some students from Senegal, from the, and this is our role. But uh, when we, you are in, in the system is closed, you understand? Our system is closed. Every country is have 
his real system is closed. We must uh, like a bomb, all this, and we must use all the possibilities offered by the technology today. Students from South Africa can uh, uh, have training in Tunisia. This is possible today. Thank you. That's a great point. And at this final juncture in the conversation, Abishak, I wanted to draw on your own experiences, but also to get your own take on what do you see as the new systems that we can create? How can we use technology to further buttress these South-South collaborations? Oh, well, thank you very much. Um, and I'm also gaining from all these conversations or all these pointers that everyone made here. And I would take um, um, Lamia's uh, point of departure uh, of South-to-South -South collaboration. And this is what we've been also researching and working towards. Um, because I think this whole dependency on North or the whether it is for whether it is for funding or accreditation or um, support, um, well, I guess it's needed to to an extent, or which is the current reality. But while we are doing that, we should always, or rather, we should be aware and um, reaching to towards um, our sisters and brothers and in other parts uh, in in the southern parts of the world and this is uh, this is also not just working against the colonial system or the embedded colonial system but also the capitalist system because um, the dominant systems um, the capitalist system gains very much from atomization of individuals or atomization of film cultures okay this is the tunisian film culture or this is the indian film culture or this is the south african film culture and then they are asymmetrically dependent on, let's say, a film festival or, or, or the funding bodies who are based in the North. So I think we have to overcome this atomization. And in the process of even the conceptual planning or conceptual proposals towards our future collaborations, um, I would like to... And also with this process, I think we would also be able to overcome the atomization of audiences through Netflix or so on and so forth. Because, I mean, what we, we have observed in the last one and a half years of, um, of COVID and is that there has been an increase in uh, consumption of content, but not really any discussion around it because people are consuming it in their through their uh, individualized, atomized screens. And we are not coming together to have a conversation about it. The, the idea of communal cinema or com coming together over cinema is kind of on a pause right now. And so this is also a good moment to think, how would we overcome this? How would we come together and we, when we are, out of this um, current pandemic or situation that we find, uh, find ourselves in, what would the future systems or future ecosystems, shall we say, look like for film and audiovisual circulation? Mm, and can there be an intersection, intermixing of different film cultures, which are not, again, branded uh, under specific nationalistic um, um, definitions, because 
Nations are also, again, another form of atomization, um, which separates communities, which separates um, shared histories, and even uh, uh, deters people from having shared collective futures. So we have to also think beyond these um, nationalistic categorization and really think about uh, what these future ecosystems could look like. And while we are, again, thinking about these future ecosystems, we have to be crucial or uh, to crucially think or critically think about um, how would the value um, circulate in this ecosystem? Um, when we are thinking about, um, say, a film has been, uh, a film from Chile is being shown in Indonesia, how would the, the filmmaker or producers of this film um, get the, the value back in terms of audience accreditation, in terms of money, in terms of, um, comments, or so on and so forth. How would this system, how would value, which is not just monetary value, but also other forms of value, circulate in the system? And so these, these, would be, these are some questions that we are dealing with in, uh, in the project United Screens. Um, yeah, so I would conclude that and offer any further comments, or I would be happy to answer questions. Thank you, Abhishek. So at this point, I wanted to open the floor, really, for comments or responses from all of you that are, are with us. So if there was anything you wanted to add to points that have already been made or, um, you know, any questions you had or any follow-ups, this would be a great point for you to chime in spontaneously. Um, this is Tamara Falakoff. I just wanted to add one thing that Abhishek said that I thought was very important, and that's that idea of kind of moving beyond this question of national borders. Um, there was a quite a lovely discussion for World Cinema Day where Amalia Cordova, who's an indigenous uh, critic and historian at the Smithsonian, talked about maybe thinking through the way film funds could be a little more inclusive. Um, she had ideas of, for example, indigenous cinema opportunities, African descended filmmakers from all over the world, including Europe, you know, like really looking at the diaspora in, in addition to the national LGBTQIA, looking at that globally. I mean, I think we just have to think through the way that we've siloed categories and make it clearer that we're much more nuanced than the way in which we've used these very old structures and histories of, frankly, colonial nation-state divides and, and just try to rethink all of those categories. And I think what Abhishek was saying about South-South collaboration, that is absolutely the future. It's just a question, again, of funding, resources, you know, collaborative, equal footing and, and, and rethinking how the dynamics would play to not replicate the same structures. And I'm sure that's definitely built in, but those are the kinds of exciting uh, initiatives that, it's, that are happening. Tiny? I just wanted to, to echo what Lamia said about the, the, the urgent need for South-South collaboration as a way to forge ahead. I think this is absolutely true. And we're finding all of us, I think, in this call and other colleagues that this is uh, one way to create alternatives in terms of 
firstly collaborations, who we can work with to make new stories, but also in terms of finding new audiences. Uh, if you look at Africa, for example, we are divided along linguistic lines in Africa and there's so many stories between one region and the next which have been made already, which can open up a world of understanding our colonial, our shared colonial experiences, but also like solutions that can come out of that. And I think it's also like encouraging to see that there are vehicles within the continent which are uh, coming up for making this easier in practical terms. Uh, in 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 this regard, I'm talking about the the African Free Trade Agreement, which I think makes it in the future even like commercially viable for us to seek these South South collaborations. And I think the same goes uh, with. Uh, other regions outside of the continent. I mean, I'm not going to uh, beat a drum about BRICS because we we all have, I suppose, different perceptions of how inclusive that structure is uh, and also how progressive that structure is. But for sure, I think opportunities to collaborate on a South-South basis uh, are where the future of of everything that we're doing as far as cinema and the audiovisual sector is concerned. Awesome, Tiny. Are there any other provocations? So I was just going to say, I just saw Temba's message to all of us on the group about diaspora. And, and I think it's always like a danger in, in a kind of international forum like this to talk too much about like very Africa specific uh, concerns. But definitely, I think for like uh, African practice and storytelling the notion of diaspora is so important uh the that community is so important not only for advancing but also for um kind of creating solidarity on so many shared struggles thanks tiny that's actually what i wanted to kind of pick up on because i think it's it's wonderful to start thinking about how we can co-produce or work together more um, within Africa or within the global south, but we also have the unfortunate reality that we don't have that much capital always to to access within those countries. Um, depending on which countries we're talking about, certainly in Ethiopia, um, I have really nothing usually to bring to the table if I'm trying to co-produce with another African country. So I think there is still that often um, reliance on on working with foreign countries to to access capital. Um, and certainly in the case of Ethiopia, to access the, the technical equipment and inputs. And I think the thing that I think about more, more often is, is about the potential to work with the diaspora and to work around co-production treaties, because most African countries don't have those treaties. It's only a few of them that do. I know from, from the Canadian perspective, other than the treaty with South Africa, they're pretty much never used. And so I think we really have to to lobby and we have to look at who is accessing the money that has been designated either specifically for African films or to African projects. And I think this happens in one of two ways. Um, I think we have to communicate back to, to the European funders specifically who do not have questions, um, both funders and broadcasters and even film festivals about authorship. And why are you the person who should tell this story? And what is your actual authentic connection to that community? Because that is happening more and more in North America. I don't see that happening in Europe. And because as long as that change isn't there and um, 
decision makers are not repositioned to have those considerations in mind, we'll continue to see more and more extractive storytelling. That's where most of the financing goes. Um, And those are the films that have more budgets and get made faster. So we have that as an issue on the one hand. And I think on the other side, you know, the funds that are focused on um, filmmakers in so-called underdeveloped countries, in Africa, in uh, other countries in the global south, those funds still primarily force us to collaborate with white producers. So I would like to see a call to have those funds prioritize collaborations with racialized black indigenous European co-producers. And that means, you know, maybe they have to to lower the bar in, in some cases because those producers haven't had as much access to the experience and the skills to to maybe understand how to add in tax credits, to access regional funds, to do interim financing. Um, but I think we have to start to let those producers in and train that generation of producers so that I can come into the IDFA Bertha Fund and work with a Black Dutch producer. I can apply to the World Cinema Fund and have a, a Black German producer and be prioritized because those are the team members of my project. And I think until we see those things, um, we're just going to sort of be spinning our wheels because I think we're going to be challenged in the immediate future to to finance films only with um, South-South collaborations. Yeah, I quite agree. Something I wanted to um, get some responses on or feedback is this idea of how we can contribute or how we can stimulate and build our industry beyond obviously just a focus on the funding. So, you know, it's been touched on already about audiences. I've been working in the Nigeria space for, you know, um, over seven years. And one of the things that has going for it is its population, which is over 200 million. I wonder what some of your thoughts were about how, in terms of diaspora and global South collaborations, we can harness, you know, the the rising um, youth and, um, you know, technically savvy populations that we have in certain parts of the global South. How can we use that sort of counterbalance conversations we're having about funding. Tessa? I think what has been raised by Tamara is so important that, and also previously um, um, addressed by Tiny, that somehow I think we really have to uh, do this work by identifying ourselves in our national context to prevent us from being boxed in all in all these national discourses to create transnational allies and uh, relationships because if we are able for instance if I would be able to identify from a Dutch perspective or from a more regional perspective in this part of the world where I am to identify the communities that are connected to Tamara's work that would make such a difference so all this this fabric that is not there because there's no interest uh, from the industry I think unfortunately we are responsible for creating that fabric um, another point that I wanted to raise, and that was more of a question also to what um, Abby said, that uh, due to the situation of COVID, I think there has been created a dynamics that I think was very necessary for the industry to happen. The fact that we don't travel, we, I say from Europe, we are traveling all over the world to get films, to Uh, meet other people in this industry. And this also created um, a power imbalance with people in the industry who are not able to do that in the extent that we are doing it. So in a way, I felt when COVID started, it creates a more um, even 
playing field. So by this, we have learned now that the whole traveling that we've been doing and inviting people or not, whether they could be present at a festival, through this, we have seen that it is possible to have these digital platforms now to collaborate and to exchange information. And we should keep it as a practice for the people who would be uh, excluded in the regular practice uh, of film festivals. So I think I really we should advocate this to be promoted and to redirect and reposition the money available from uh, international film festivals. That's one short thing I wanted to add to that. Maybe people have other ideas how to use this crisis to our own benefit. Tiny, I wanted to bring you in at this point. Yeah, I um, I wanted to to pick up on what you're saying about placing value in audiences. I've been in countless uh, talks, industry talks, where they say um, there's no grant funding in Nigeria, therefore, you know, you can't put it on a finance plan. So for me, I think it's really important for us to think in practical terms about how we can place value in our audiences. So, um, for example, language versioning is a kind of line of business that in, in Africa should be a real focus so that we can be able to sell our, our content repeatedly within the same continent, but in different language versions, which creates like, you know, opportunities for licensing in all kinds of markets. Um, at um, uh, at Steps, where I work, we have a, a, a distribution um, platform for documentary called AfriDocs. And when we make language versions in Hausa, in Amharic, um, in Swahili, that we distribute the same content with all of these different broadcasters, the numbers of kind of viewership that we get are astounding. And I think that what we need to think about is how can we find smart ways to do this? How can we create... Um, the mechanisms to formalize this and kickstart sustainable initiatives to increase the circulation of content in and around our continent. I think um, a very big part of this is us also recognizing that there's a lot of work uh, that's required in terms of capacity building for building the ecosystem on the continent. So I'm talking about organizational capacity in those regions where there aren't, there isn't a lot of experience. People want to do things, but there there isn't a lot of there aren't a lot of companies with a track record of doing this where people can model their, their own organizations and their structures around. And we need to, to see how we can support each other in growing, growing those initiatives by, you know, pointing an arrow at the demand. People want to see content from the global south and specifically from Africa as well. Thank you so much, Tiny. That was great. We're kind of in the last few moments. So did anyone else have any urgent or burning pointers that they wanted to make, or even responses. Abhishek? Yeah, I would, um, I would just say that um, I think we have to also accept that uh, these changes that we wish for would not come from any governments, especially not, I mean, I don't expect that from Indian government, or looking at these soft power arms of cultural arms of different European countries. So I don't think that these, Spaces are from where um, such South-to-South collaboration would be encouraged or even supported, and it needs uh, it needs it needs a space to it needs it, it needs time and space for it to develop a, a base for it to further develop. So we have to be aware that this is something that is our work, um, and for that uh, I think. Um, 
Um, I've been researching quite a lot about what could be an organizational model for, for something like this to take place. And something that I found very interesting is cooperatives um, uh, as a model. And, and uh, this is what United Screens as a project is also very interested in when we talk about networks. Can we not be part of a, a cooperative, uh, a digital cooperative, a transnational digital cooperative? And to that effect, I, f I, I find it necessary to mention the 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 immense work that Guerrilla Media Collective has done, um, who are based out of Spain, um, and uh, I would encourage everyone, uh, whoever's um, present in this panel, and also people who are listening to this podcast, uh, to check out their manifesto, which is called uh, Disco Cooperative Manifesto. It's a relevant proposal that they they have, you know, consolidated in this manifesto. Um, and it's a fantastic read. I don't know if anyone else. Tamara, did you want to say something? Tamara Dowitt. Yeah, I mean, just just really briefly that, um, you know, the idea of audiences in Africa, I think we can see that we do have audiences um, because of the influx of European and foreign broadcasters coming in and making investments um, on the continent in the last couple of years. Um, but I think, you know, it's kind of like a double-edged sword that they've come in because they know they can monetize African audiences. But when you look at the, the amounts they're op offering for co-productions as acquisitions for license fees, it's a joke. And it's this sort of undervaluing of, the, of our content. And it sort of says to African filmmakers, well, you can produce content in this format which is not a format which would be perhaps acceptable for international distribution. So I think it really, really limits us. And I think every time I get asked to join a project where I'm gonna make some sort of African film, I'm told the budget is gonna be really low. And I think those are things we have to push back on just because it's an African film or a Southeast Asian film or a film from South America, doesn't mean that we need to be doing it with one tenth of the budget that a white filmmaker would get to do the same content. Samara Falikov, I don't know if you had any final words i'm very perplexed by how you know how problematic these structures have been built up over time but i'm feeling quite optimistic with hearing all these these directions that folks are moving in and um i just think we need to continue the conversation i'm very grateful that we've had this platform and this space to share ideas and i agree with the concept of keeping up this platform, this digital platform, as Tessa put, to be able to include as many voices as we can and to continue that. So this brings us to the end of the Global North, Global South Narrative Sovereignty podcast series. There were so many eloquent arguments put forward from our panelists. We have heard, for instance, why history cannot be ignored and how the colonial experience is still affecting industry standards and expectations. Also, how seemingly innocent Western funding tastes and aesthetic projections have dictated content that at times can be referred to as poverty porn. There was a questioning of why the industry is so largely led by an audience marketing bias towards a Western demographic despite population growth in the global South and indeed diverse audiences in the North. It was suggested a more effective use of audience, viewership and impact data could help to reframe marketing and distribution. Our speakers explained how, as an international industry, we could seek to create a shared vision for a more sustainable film ecosystem for cultural production. 
It was highlighted that filmmakers in the diaspora are well-placed to be the bridge to negotiate such change. South-South peer-to-peer capacity building, amongst other actions, were additionally recommended. Lastly, a call was put out to industry colleagues to learn lessons from the COVID-19 pandemic and how this has changed industry practice being a leveller in terms of access. It is without question that our guests have raised the level of industry debate around this subject, a conversation which I anticipate will act as a turning point. I'm thrilled to have had their participation. In the meantime, find us wherever you get your podcasts and on the website of the European Film Market, www.efm-bernalale.de. Thanks for listening. I hope that you will tune into the next episodes of Industry Insights, the EFM podcast in cooperation with Cutter Institute. Goodbye.